Welcome to another episode of the European Hoops podcast. Today we have a very special guest. As we continue to receive many requests from you guys about uh, young European players, we brought in and we invited a special guest that will be able to answer all of your questions. Joining us today, we have none other than the founder of the NBA Draft Junkies, the director of scouting at the NBA Big Board, and also the host of the Lockdown NBA Big Board podcast. Welcome to the show, Rafael Borlo. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? And thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you. Welcome. We are very happy that you accepted our invitation. We here at the European Hoops Podcast, we are big fans of your work. So oh, thank please you. let uh, our listeners know where they can follow your work and also give us a bit more about yourself, your background, and especially when did basketball became a big part of your life? Yeah, you can find me at nbabigboard.com. It is a, a website and um, it's it's a subscription-based website. And the reason I charge a subscription is because it allows me to um, go to Europe and, and scout some of the international <laughs> prospects. I think as, as an American who understands the direction of the NBA, it is important for me to know prospects in Europe. And I first started following international prospects in 2016. And it, it's funny because my first tournament I went to was like the U18s in 2016, but they didn't have it in the summer because I think there was like a, a coup and something happened in Turkey and it was in December. And I went and I remember watching, you know, Frank Nilakina was the hot name at that time. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein played in that tournament. Um, Sekou Dembuya was in that tournament. Um, Janin Musa was in that tournament. And then I, I just remember falling in love with the international prospects and seeing and just trying to predict how their game may translate to American style basketball. I remember seeing Gogo Batazzi when he played for, for Mega at the, I saw them play at the, um, when the final four was in Istanbul, I lived in Istanbul for basketball season. Um, Epe Udo is one of my my good friends, so I was around oh. that whole year when when Fenerbahce won the the Euro League. So I I really love international basketball, and, and so one of the reasons, like I said, the subscription is is it's well, I charge a subscription because I can use the the money to go back and and and, and travel to Europe and actually be one of the few American independent scouts is not the only independent American scout that actually sees the players in person. And, and even if it's like two years before the draft, I remember I went to quite a bit of the ANGTs in 2022. So I saw Risa Shea and Topic and, and all those guys before they blew up on, on NBA radar. So um, NBABigBoard.com. And then I have the podcast locked on NBA Big Board and I covered the draft. And so, yeah, I'm just a basketball junkie. Um, I mean, I can't remember when it started, but I would say maybe third grade. And after the, I read <laughs> my first basketball magazine and it's just been on since. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's everything to me. Yeah, we love basketball junkies like you. And Epa is quite of a legend over here in Europe. He had a great, great career here. He's a great player and he seems to be an even better person. So he's one of those people that are worth it to cheer for. Of course, all of our subscriptions should go and support your work because we want quality work and we need to support the people that we follow their work and believe on their work. And you being able to come and to watch those games, that's how you can spot all of those pearls that later are in the NBA. And if we want to know about them ahead of time, we need to support the people that do the work. When did Thank you decide that becoming a draft expert was the, the path that you wanted to take? Um, I'd say about 2000, 
Jeez, it's crazy because at the end of the year, there's prospects that I'm targeting that are born in that year. I'd say about 2000, <laughs> I'd say about 2006. I didn't know, like I knew this is what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to go about, how to do it and, and so on. And then the idea was in my head and I never went through with it. And then I, you know, I would read every draft website all the time. And there wasn't that many back then. It was like NBADraft.net, Draft Express, whenever ESPN posted something. So I was always interested in it. I mean, the draft was like my favorite day of the year, but it wasn't until... 2016, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a website. I'm going to use my own opinion and, and go from there. And, and so um, that's that, that's when I started it. I started NBA Draft Junkies. And it, it's the first reports I did was was at that U18s. And I, I remember just vividly just being so impressed with Sekou Dumbuya. I was like, whenever this guy, <laughs> this, whenever he's eligible to enter the draft, he's going to be the number one pick. And I mean, obviously I was <laughs> wrong. I think the, the development kind of stalled a little bit. Yep. And, um, but talent wise, I mean, he was phenomenal at that tournament. It was like his coming out party. And ever since then, I just followed it. I started the website and um, just slowly but surely it just kind of grew. Being able to wiggle between upside and what can convert into talent, I believe it's what make the, the people that do the job that you do and being able to identify the psychos and the, the ones that will hit or not. It's uh, the hard part of, yeah, it's, uh, of your job. And, and the hardest part about it is the stuff that you can't predict. Like you, you yeah. it's it's hard to predict what happens when you give a 19 year old a million dollar contract that hasn't had anything because I mean, they're kids, right? And so it's, it's, it's just really hard to predict. And I, I think a lot of times when players make it or don't make it, I don't think it's a talent issue. I think it's, you know, maybe maturity, maybe, you know, for the international players and it, it happens on both sides, but a, adapting or adjusting to life in America as a teenager. And I, and I tell people in America all the time, all right, when you were 19 years old, could you have went and lived in Europe? And, and they, some of them would have a hard time doing it. Some people have a hard time just moving to a different state to go to college and they get homesick. And so I think sometimes with European prospects, that don't necessarily make it or live up to the expectations. I don't always think it's talent related. I just think maybe the adjustment was too much because we're asking some really young guys to to move to a totally different, not necessarily like a, a different country, because I mean, European players do it all the time at an early age, just a, a totally different culture. And, yeah. you know, it's it can be an adjustment. So that's what makes it hard because that's the stuff that you can't really predict. And you see that at uh, even in the later stages of their careers, you see Bogdan Bogdanovic, that is an incredible player. He dealt with some knee injuries early on in his NBA career that really derailed him. And now he really adapted and he's starting to really show how well he can play. But you have Misic and Vazankov that uh, were just yeah. recent MVPs of the EuroLeague. They are very high-level players. They are very good basketball players, but they are struggling to be able to have as big of a role or to be able to impact basketball at the NBA level and it just it is a big adaptation from game style to lifestyle all of the things will matter and especially when you are a young kid it really can be very hard yeah especially for the veterans it's you know in Europe every game matters every game is important and the coach is going to play the best players in the NBA it's not always the case it's like hey we got this young guy I know you're better than him right now but we think in three years he's going to be better so he's going to play ahead of you and that to me that doesn't really happen like that in Europe because you have to win now so but it's weird you know Fontecchio is is starting for the Jazz who won like I don't know like 13 out of their last 17 games and that was such a very low-key signing that didn't have a lot of fanfare 
And I mean, I don't think anybody would have guessed that he'd be playing a bigger role than, than you know, the two MVPs. So it's, it's, but that's the challenge of it that makes me really intrigued by international yeah. basketball and, and how it translates to the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get back to the these kids that are born in 2000s and make us feel old when we are evaluating these guys. Now that we got the easy part out of the way, let's put you on the hot seat and get you some draft-related questions about the future of basketball. And of course, we will focus on the European players. Let's start with the players that are part of the rookie class that is playing on the NBA this season. How special is YMB? Is he the future of basketball for you? Yeah, I mean, he's special. Like I tell people, I, I got married in Paris in 2021, and I went to go watch Wimbayama play on my wedding day. So we got oh, married wow. in the morning, and then later on that day, I went to actually went to like, how did that came also. about? Sorry, before you answer my question, we need to know how did that came about? Tell us that story, please. Yeah, we we got <laughs> married. Like to get married in Paris, um, you have to get married like really early in the morning to get the pictures at the Eiffel Tower without a gazillion tourists in the background. Yeah. So the wedding was <laughs> at like six o'clock in the morning. So it was very early. Oh, wow. We did the ceremony there. And then, um, you know, it's it's by five o'clock. I mean, we were there like a few days before. So by five o'clock, um, I went to go watch the Espoirs game. And I watched Zachary Reese play. And then I went back and got my wife, and then we went to go watch um, Victor play against Ishmael Kamagate. It was Azil versus Ferris Basket. I was telling my wife, like, all right, this guy is going to be the next big thing in a couple of years. <laughs> and so now she can go back and say, yeah, I watched Victor Wimbayama play before he was in the NBA and, and so on. So, um, yeah, that, that's how it came about. <laughs> that's like a, a super honeymoon for basketball junkies like ourselves. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing about this story is this is this is really crazy. So I had tweeted um, the pictures on a line of, of, of just, you know, me and my wife at the Eiffel Tower or whatever. Right. So I get this. I got a bunch a, a whole bunch of messages saying congratulations, yada, 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 so on and so on. So later on that day, um, there was I didn't see the message, but later on that day, I had posted that I was at the game, you know, watching Victor play. So people were tweeting like, this guy's watching basketball on his wedding day, so on <laughs> and so on, right? This is one of the craziest stories of my basketball life. So last year, I was at the game where Victor played against Scoot, Scoot Henderson at, at yep. the, um, the G League Showcase. And so Victor's dad comes up to me, says, you don't know who I am. I said, no, I know who you are. He says, no, he says, you didn't know who I, who, who I am. He says, he says, I don't know, for whatever reasons, I, I saw your, your posts come up on Twitter. And I think he, he has a Twitter account, but it doesn't say like Wimbayama on it. I think it, it says something mm. else. So nobody knows who it is. So he says, yeah, it came across my my timeline and I said, hey, congratulations. Um, enjoy, enjoy, you know, my city. And he was like, you know, you responded and said, thank you. And then he says, later on that day, that night, I see you at my son's game and I see you tweet <laughs> at my son's game. He's like, that's when I knew you were a big basketball fan. And so I literally had this entire conversation in Las Vegas with Victor's dad and had no idea that, you know, he was he just saw my, my post in the morning. And then um, I just saw him a few weeks ago. I live in Dallas from the Played, played the math. So that was kind of like my um, my introduction to the Wimbayama family. This story is, is absolutely amazing. And that's a really cool story to keep for life. About Wimby and how cool is his rivalry with Chet and how good he can be? Will he be historical good? Do you think he has the path to become one of the, I don't know, top 10 best players ever? How good can he really be? I mean, the sky's the limit. Like there's no... 
limit to to what he you know what what he can do what he can be i mean we already know like how unique of a player he is just he hasn't scratched the surface. I mean, the shooting is going to get better. He's going to get stronger. He's going to have playmakers that that get him the ball, get him gets him those easy looks. He's gonna. I mean, he's it's gonna be really, really, really good. I think he has a, a chance to be. I mean, I, I don't even know everything has been said about him, but mm-hmm. I, I will say this much: I'm friends with his trainer, Tim Martin, and Tim told me two years ago. He says. Victor has a chance to be the best player ever. And I said, yeah, so I know he's going to be good. He said, no, ever. But he was more impressed with just Victor's mindset and how hard he works. Yeah. And he said how fast he processes things and how he how great he wants to be. So, um, it's, I, like I said, someone close to Victor. And, and Tim is not a guy that just talks like that. And he said he thinks he has a chance to be the best player ever. That really is a difference maker. And you spoke about that before when we were speaking about the players adapting into the different lifestyle, different uh, country. And with him, he's just ready. He's mentally ready. He does the work. He works hard. And that really can be a difference maker for a player that has his athletic abilities, his talent. He can be truly impressive. Let's speak about another French player. And that will be something we will be doing quite a bit on this episode because the French youth program has been impressive at producing talent. Bilal, on the last draft, he climbed the boards. Do you think that the Wizards reached too much for him? What do you think that his upside is? I mean, his upside is high. I'm a big fan of Bilal. Um, I have a, a Twitter post from about September 2022. I actually went to an SWARS game. And I, I focused the camera on him. I watched him the whole entire game and just filmed him. Didn't film anybody else. And I was like, like I'm going to be the first guy to really mm-hmm. talk about Bilal Koulibaly as a potential lottery pick in 2024. <laughs> well, I was wrong. I was a, a year <laughs> early. I did not think that he would. I mean, nobody saw it coming. And um, but once he started getting minutes and, and, and started playing, it was like, you know what? I think he's a first round pick. And then it just got more and more. Then he started climbing. And then um, I, I talked to his his agent and maybe like the day before the draft. And he said, Bilal's going in, in the top 10. And he said even higher. So, no, I think he's going to be really good. I live like I, said, I live in Dallas and he spent some time here in Dallas working out and training. I was able to interview him on my podcast and get some video footage of him working out. And we have the same birthday. So, I mean, that, that's a little connection there. But, Let's yeah, go. I mean, he's so humble. Like, the two French guys, Wimbayama and Koulibaly, are so humble, so down to earth. They're they're dedicated. Totally different scenarios. I mean, Victor has been praised for years as, as being the next thing. And Bilal literally just kind of came out of nowhere. But they're very similar in how they approach things and how they work out. And so um, I, I've never seen Victor work out in person, but I've I've seen Bilal work out a few times. So I'm rooting for them. And no, I don't think they reach. I mean, I, I think that long term, he's going to be like this really good two-way player. And he's shown some flashes of it this year. When Tremonto went down and he started to have some chances with the, the big team, we started to see some flashes here and there. It was just surprising to see him going so early on the draft and, of course, cheering for him to thrive at the NBA level. And he has the tools to be able to do it. Let's yeah. finish the conversation about the 23 class. And I want to ask you about three players. James Nagy, Tristan Vucevic, uh, both are playing in the EuroLeague. 
right now mm -hmm. and CDC Soko that is with uh, the Spurs and he's playing mostly yeah. on the G League. I have two questions about them. What do you expect to see from each one of them if they have a chance to, to make it to the NBA? And uh, what do you think about the players picking these two different paths? Playing in Europe where the teams are not prioritizing the player and showcasing the player. The, pl the teams are prioritizing to win or going to the G League or even in Australia where the showcasing of the player is more available for them or taking the college route as some players are doing. What do you think about all of those paths and what do you think about these three, three players in specific? Yeah, I mean, their situations are different. I saw Najee a couple years ago. I didn't really like his game at first when I was watching him play on the youth levels because they were feeding him the ball in the post and he's not a polished low post scorer. He scored his points off of being bigger than everyone else, maybe some offensive rebounds here and there. But then I, I started to see what he could do once he started playing minutes for Barcelona, their senior team, when they had some injuries. And then he looked a whole lot better with, you know, EuroLeague or ACB spacing with the point guard and getting the ball. And he had a more simplified role of screening, rolling to the rim, running the floor, getting rebounds. And so I, I began to turn the corner on him. I'm actually surprised that he's being stashed. I, I thought that he could come out and, and help. I mean, I think he's what Charlotte owns his rights. I believe. Yeah, exactly. But but who? But they didn't draft him. I forgot who selected him. It was a Detroit, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, he got traded yeah, I mean, to Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I'm surprised he's been stashed. And and Vucevic. I mean, I thought he played extremely well at the combine. I was there. I mean, he lit it up. And um, I mean, obviously, he needs to get stronger. But for him, I, I do think it is important for him to get minutes. He didn't play a lot with, with Real Madrid. I remember going to a game to scout him, and I, I knew there was a chance that he wasn't going to play a lot. He got in for like 20 seconds. <laughs> I'm like, man, yeah. it's so uh, – but no, I mean, I think he just needs to get stronger, get some more reps. I just hope that the teams have a plan for them to actually bring them over. I mean, we've seen plenty of times guys get drafted and they get stashed, and then, you know, the next year the team brings in some other player, and then they just get forgot about. Um, you know, the the best example that comes to mind is um, the, the French kid. Um, I always butcher his name, but Bougarin, or I mean, I don't think Boston has any plans for him, but they're still holding on to his rights. And so, and then maybe, you know, hopefully Denver does something with Kamagate. I, I really like him. I think he could, you know, help an NBA team, but I just saw he's ready to leave um, Milan or something like that. So, Yeah, it's just I just hope that the teams have a um, have a game plan for them to bring them over. And then what was the the last player that you mentioned? City Sissoko. Oh, City. Yeah, actually, City did his his uh, pre draft workouts like literally two minutes from from where I live. And I think that he definitely has a role in the NBA as as a defender. You know, the playmaking that he showed on, on the, the junior levels in, in France, I don't, I don't think he's had the opportunity to, to showcase it yet. They're kind of just using him as a defender. But I do think that once he continues to develop and put it all together, you're going to have like this guy that can defend multiple positions, but also make plays for others. And the NBA loves big wings, wings that can handle and, and, and make plays for others. So I think he has a, a long NBA career ahead of him. For him, I really I really think that uh, his ability to shoot will can buy him some minutes because I think he can work as a glue piece and play probably from two to four with City. Yep. I'm quite high on yep. him. But what do you think about these players taking such different paths to, to reach the same goal that is to get to the NBA? Do you have some favorite path? What do you think that players should be looking at doing and what are the disadvantages of choosing to, to play for a EuroLeague team where it will be very hard for you to have minutes and show off yourself? Man, it's a case-by-case -case scenario. 
Australia. I mean, you look at Alex Saar, I think he made the best decision for him, which was going to Australia as opposed to staying in the States. Like, he really had zero buzz, you know, playing for overtime elite last year. And he didn't have a strong under-19s this past summer. He averaged like seven points per game, but he goes to Australia. And they have the showcase game with Ignite. And now he's like, you know, the favorite to be the number one pick. And you look at Topic, his situation with... with, um, with uh, MIS. Uh, yeah, he went not to, to the Red Star. To, to yeah, the yeah he's at Red Star. Unfortunately, he got hurt after, what, the second or third game? Yeah. But, yeah, game. I mean, those guys made some – the decisions that they made definitely worked out in their favor. The Soko plan for the Ignite, on one hand, in the second half of the year, I, I think he, he really showed something. Like, he was one of the leaders in the G League in dunks because he just showed his athleticism. So, I mean, it, it may have helped him out some, but who the guys that, that chose to play college basketball, it, it hasn't worked in their favor at all. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's going to be interesting how it works going forward when you see like really, really highly touted international prospects. Are they going to choose to play in college? I think, you know, like mid-majors or guys that aren't on draft boards playing in college could be beneficial for them. But the guys that have like draft buzz, it it may not make sense, or, or maybe it's just a bad situation at UCLA. UCLA has had like highly touted guys come in, like Peyton Watson, for example, and they didn't play him, so it could be a UCLA thing. We saw, for example, with Adaimar, he had a whole situation that the club wanted to retain him and have him playing pro here. He just chose to to go to college, and we will see how those decisions will be paying off for each one of these players. What is your perception? What do the NBA front offices think about a player that decides to stay and to to play in the early? Does that increases their value? or it can work against them yeah i mean it can work against them because they may not get a lot of minutes and of course you know as a scout nba scout that's based in the states you would love to see a guy you know 10 times or so in in college basketball as opposed to having to travel to europe i mean i i, I love traveling to europe so i, I would admit <laughs> it. but yeah i mean the, the for the scout the more you see of a guy the better and even sometimes for a player the less they see of you the the better so it's kind of weird how, how that ends up working out because sometimes a guy's draft stock can, can be high and it can totally fall because they're playing a lot. And then in Europe, you can, you know, you if you average like five points a game and you're playing in the EuroLeague and, and you're playing here and there, it can actually kind of help you because the teams are, I mean, there's like still like a, a mystery behind you. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. that can help. I mean, like I mean, he's not European, but Don, uh, Dante Exum, for example, like he played really well at the, the Hoop Summit and then just like chilled the whole year. And that was the last impression teams had of him. And he ends up being, a, what was he, like the fifth pick? And was he ready? No, but I mean, it, it helped his draft status and he was able to, you know, to get the, the bigger draft money early. So like I said, it's just a case by case scenario. And the way it's looking this year for the prospects is that the guys who stayed in Europe or, or went to Australia, it, it worked in their favor as opposed to going to the States. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Let's then yeah. hit those guys and let's hit the 2024 draft class. And let me start by making you two questions. Is the buzz of this being an international class, you would say that it's fair to say that? And who are your top five European players in this class? Yeah, I think it's going to be a strong international class. For sure. I mean, I mean, we live in a world where the top or three of the top five picks, maybe even the first three picks could be international. Um, so, yeah, I think it's I mean, I think it's a very interesting class because I mean, I think SAR has, has put himself at, at the top. 
but a lot of guys haven't really separated themselves. And then even some of the guys that are expected to go high, I don't know if they would go in the same range in another draft class that's considered to be stronger. But yeah, I would say my top five are obviously Alex Saar, Nikola Topic, Zachary Risa Shea, T. John, um, Salon, and then for the next prospect after that, I mean, obviously, Ajinta is the name that, that comes to mind. I may be forgetting somebody, um, Bobby Clintman, but the guy that I really like is he's Chinese, Hanson Yang. He's he's a, a center. He played for China. Yeah. They're under 19 team. And I, I made a video I posted on Twitter. I mean, he, he had some good moments against Saar and Almanza. Very, very skilled. He's physical, moves well. So those would be my international prospect. But Yang is still young. I think he's only 18, so I don't even know if he's, he's going to be in this draft. Yeah, I heard there is a chance that he will be going to the 2025 draft, but he has a great vision and great passing ability as well for yep. his size. Yep. He, he will be, he has the potential to be special. Very well, let's talk then about some of those players and let's focus on all of these European prospects. Before we get into the, the top players that you just spoke about, what do you see in the future of a player like uh, Nikola Djuricic? Does he his game translate into the NBA? Oh man, he has so much buzz a couple years ago. It's yeah. almost like he should have left when his buzz was high. <laughs> um, <laughs> same thing with like what's what's the kid's name? Roko. I can't Prakachin. I mean, he was highly touted a few years ago. I, I thought he was he had a chance. I mean, his buzz has, has died down. Um, I, I felt like a mistake that uh, Jurisic did last year at the combine was I, I was at his his workout at the combine where he did a pro day with XL. And, you know, he's not like a really good athlete by NBA standards, but they had him work out. And then the guy who he worked out, the guy who worked out after him was jumping out the gym. I mean, I'm talking <laughs> like 40 inch vertical. I mean, he's doing like some of the craziest dunks. I mean, he was he had he had the most impressive like athletic plays at this pro day. It, it, so it's like when you see Juristic in, in that type of setting where I think Juristic is not a guy that you're going to see the best out of him in an empty gym in a pro day setting. You need five. You need 10 players on the court where you can see like his passing ability and his versatility as opposed to like that pro day setting where, you know, guys are just showcasing their athleticism on one on none. So I don't think that was the best situation for him, because if you had questions about his athleticism, it really looks magnified next to like this freakishly good athlete. But yeah, I mean, the draft buzz around him is is, is down. And I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched him this year, but it's on my list to, to watch him and just see like maybe he has gotten better better but maybe just people just aren't talking about him because mm. um you know the other guys are are, are newer and and I guess sexier at the moment but I think he's highly skilled. I think he's just going to need a, a good situation for him. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I like him a lot. I like him a lot. It's just it just seems like he's just been dealing with some injuries. Let's go to one of the players that is on your top five, Richasse. How high do you think that he can climb on the draft day? And uh, what do you think that he can offer to NBA teams? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been skeptical about him just because. It's it's hard for me to like take a guy that high that offers very little creation off the dribble. I've actually watched him play twice this year. I saw him play against Monaco, and I thought he only had three points that game, maybe four. Uh, yeah, I think it was four. He had a three point and a free throw, but he had some good moments defending Mike James. I mean, you see how how big he is, his size and upside as a shooter. So I will say, I think he can be like a plug and play guy. But usually for a, a pick that high, you want someone that can, especially at the wing, you want someone that is better at creating their own shot and, and getting separation. So I think he's 
you know, like a, a guy that's going to be three in, in D. I mean, he, he does move the ball some. I think he, he can, um, you know, serve as a ball mover. It's weird because I've seen games where he's looked great, and then I've seen games where he's just totally, like, disappeared or, or didn't really do anything. And then I've seen games where he had good numbers, but they were after the game was determined. Like a game I went to um, against uh, in, in San Quentin, or, or however you pronounce that. I think he had like 11 points, but they were like in the second half and the team was down by, by 20. And that's when yeah. he got aggressive. So I, I do have some concerns, but I think he can be one of the safer players because he has size. He does provide shooting. Can he maintain the 47% from three that he's shooting? <laughs> that would be That would be amazing. But um, yeah, I, I do think that he has a, a, an NBA role. I saw your tweets regarding Bozalis. You were mentioning that he still has a chance to climb back on the draft boards ahead of the draft. What are your thoughts about his game? Very, very talented. Very, I mean, just the way he moves, the, the shooting potential. He's a better shooter than the numbers indicate. He's been really struggling with his shot. It's weird because I don't know if Arisa Shea is as good as, of a shooter as the numbers suggest. Well, I don't think Bazellus is as bad as a shooter as the numbers suggest. I think they're they're going to meet somewhere in the middle. But he has all the tools, man. I mean, he can handle, he can shoot, he can create his own shot. He's shown some flashes of like ball handling and offensive creativity and getting to his mid-range and shooting over the top of guys. But he also has moments where he just is, he, he just disappears where he's not, he doesn't look fully engaged. He needs to get stronger and embrace physicality. But I think that, I mean, he's got the tools to be really good. If he just had a little bit more of an of an aggressive mindset, then I, I think that he could be number one. But I still think there is a chance because I think he's going to look amazing in workouts. I mean, just imagine him in a, yeah. a, a workout. I mean, his draft stock is high enough to where he probably can do one-on-one workouts. Teams are going to be impressed by his size and they're going to put him through ball handling drills and he's going to look good doing that. He's probably going to shoot the cover off the ball in workouts and He's athletic enough to where you can see just, you know, his athleticism. And so I think that teams could be impressed with him in a workout situation and then just look at the Ignite and, and just how much of a mess they've been and say, oh, you know what? He's going to look better in a better situation. Do you think that he can be a much better player than, for example, Michael Porter Jr.? I know that they are slightly different, but they have the size. And if Matas can have the shooting as well with uh, all his ability to do other things on the game, especially offensively, and with both of them being mostly offensive players, do you think he has the upside? to be an even better version of it. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a good comparison. And, you know, like I've, I've heard people compare Risa Shea to Michael Porter Jr., but maybe Bazellus could be what we thought Michael Porter Jr. was supposed to be before the back injuries. Yeah. Because he's a little stiff right now. And, and maybe he can do more, but he's in a perfect situation in Denver. You know, like, if Michael Porter Jr. is your second best player, maybe you're not good. But if he's your... <laughs> third or fourth best player then that means you know you're an nba championship team so if if yeah i mean that's a good comparison so maybe he could be michael porter jr but show like the flashes of one-on-one and creativity that porter showed before he hurt his back i like that comparison i also think that there is some high upside there and i just wonder if um, he will be able to be more engaged on the game and always engage uh, every single possession engage because he has the ability to impact the game especially offensively at a very yeah. high level and when i saw your tweet mentioning that he still has a chance to climb back on the boards because 
because this season with everything that is going on with Ignite, whatever it is going on there, it uh, hasn't been a positive trajectory for, for him so far. Despite me living abroad, I'm from Portugal and after we have gotten our first Portuguese player ever in NBA in the great Numias Caeta, do you mm-hmm. think that uh, Ruben Prey has a chance to join him? Yeah, I think at some point. I mean, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal rebounder. I mean, probably the best rebounder. I mean, really, in, in this, in the, I, sure, I would say in Europe for sure, in this generation plus. But yeah, I mean, I think he has the, the size and he has um, a a defined role and skill set that he's really, really good at. So I, I think there is a chance. What, 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 what generation is he? Uh, 2006, I believe. 2006. Um, yeah, so you know maybe in, in next year's draft because I, I was just thinking 2005. I just checked. Oh, he's, so so he could be this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just seems like um, you haven't haven't heard haven't heard much about him. I, I watched him work out last summer. He he was in Las Vegas at NBA Summer League, and uh, I have some notes that that I watched from his workout. That was my first time seeing him up close and personal. He he's a guy that. I think when you watch him in a workout, you may not necessarily be impressed because the thing that he does great is rebound, and you're not going to really see that in a workout. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I mean, he's 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 skilled. Um, I know the first time I watched him play, I was again impressed with his his, his rebounding, and I thought maybe he needed to be a little bit more physical. Yeah, there absolutely. Times I thought he shied away from from contact and it wasn't as aggressive. So if he can work on like the physicality part and get stronger. And, and and be a little meaner, then I, I think he could be really good. We'll decide that he's a, the type of player that does translate into the way that the NBA is played now, if he's able to add that physicality. I think he he, he could be, because, I mean, eventually the game is going to go back, it's, it's going to change, you know, just every five or so years it, it, it changes. And so I do think that, you know, maybe if, if Jokic and Embiid and, and Shingun and those guys continue to dominate and, and even like Sabonis, for example, if the, if the Kings go far, then I think teams are going to have to say, you know, we need to have some more bigs on the roster, you know, just in case we have to match up with one of these guys in the playoffs. And so if you got, you know, a big that can rebound and, and, and play a simplified role, then I do think there is a space, a spot for him. But the key is always just can you defend in space and, and what can you do on the defensive end? Are you going to be able to anchor a defense or are you going to be like a good uh, drop coverage guy? I mean, it's it's weird. Like with, with bigs, I feel like you have to – Filler role as either like this athletic vertical lob threat or like this really gifted low post score. But even if you're like a very gifted low post score, then I think you have to be like a really good passer. Because yeah. if you if you don't pass and, you, and you're not a good passer and you're not like a great defender, then you end up being like Enos Cantor, who, I mean, phenomenal rebounder, great mm-hmm. hands. I mean, he's got some other stuff going on while he probably will never play in the NBA again. Yeah. But, I mean, he was very productive when he played. He just was, was bad at, at, at defense. And so it's just like, can he, can a guy like Prey fill one of those those roles? Absolutely. I'll make the next one short, but I think it's one that has some juice to it. Ademara or Donovan Klingen? Klingen. <laughs> All right. Why? Why? Um, I think Klingen has a defined role as a rebounder and rim protector. He's a great shot blocker. I mean, I, I feel like Mara blocks, he blocks shots because of his size, because he just kind of stood there. But at 7'3", I mean, you you would think he'd be like an excellent shot blocker. So he he does block some shots and does like deter things because of his size. But I think Klingon is when he's healthy. Like this year, he hasn't been as healthy as he was last year. So he's not moving the way that he did last year. 
which could be concerning for a guy seven three with foot foot issues. But I do think that he's he's obviously bigger, he's more physical, he's tougher, and he's a, a better rebounder and shot blocker, and he moves better. Mara is more skilled. I mean, that's that's not even a debate to me. Mara's more skilled. He's a better passer, better touch around the rim, but he's not as physical. His body is weird to me because he has such long legs and he's so tall. And I think when you have like a really high center of gravity like that, I think it's easy for defenders to push you out the paint. And so he may not be able to rebound like you like you think he would at, at his size. But yeah, it's, 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 it's just weird because usually you would go with the more skilled guy. But I think for, for Mara, he, he would definitely need to get stronger. I mean, I've seen Klingon listed at 280, 280 pounds. I don't know what the translation is and. <laughs> and uh, but uh, but yeah, Klingon's bigger, and I think he has an easier role. Well, while if let's say Klingon maximizes his potential and Mara maximizes his potential, then I think obviously Mara, you know, with his skill set and him being taller, then he could be something. But I just think he needs to get physical. I think he made a mistake by going to UCLA, so he's gonna have to like re like like rebuild his reputation again. I mean, I don't think it makes sense to go back to UCLA. I don't know what the next move for him would be, but yeah, I would just like to see him like get stronger. Um, he's just really struggling when he does play because of the physicality and the speed. While Klingon looked good last year, so that's why I would go Klingon. It's about 125 kilos <laughs> for okay. our European listeners. But um, do you think that Mara would uh, consider not the win? in this year's draft you think that could be a good move for him i would i would test the waters so i would enter try to get some workouts and 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 let nba teams see like okay you know it's not me it was ucla because peyton watson was in the same situation a couple years ago didn't play much at ucla denver selected him at the end of the first round i think watson averaged like three points a game or something like that it was like the lowest for a first round pick in in years. And then he's he's proven to be like a rotation player for Denver this year. So if I'm Mara, I would test the waters and then see what the feedback is. And then tough decision. Uh, I don't know if, if the, the coach at UCLA is going to survive with, with, with <laughs> you know the expectations. And so maybe there is a situation where he goes back to UCLA with, with a new coach that will prioritize him. But I just thought UCLA was a bad fit from the beginning. I thought him and Bona, Adem Bona, yeah, I, I just didn't see how they would work together. They're both centers, unless Mara was like really spacing the floor. So he's got some decisions to make. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Would you agree that Mara has the highest ceiling and Klingon ha- is the safest player of the two? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> now if Klingon develops like a left hand, I, I don't. It's it's going to be an uphill battle for him to develop like a shooting touch because he's a, a poor free throw shooter. But I'll say this much. In the NBA, Klingon is probably better. In Europe, I think Mara would be the better player. That's the the perfect insight to end this discussion. <laughs> Let's get to the next player that I have here on my notes, and it's Bobby Klintman, the Swedish player. We'll just say that after he removed himself from the draft last year, the improvements and uh, the improvements on his game that he's showing this uh, season playing in Australia is what you wanted to see from him. Does he has a shot at being at a lottery pick? No, I, I don't think so as a lottery pick. Um, I, I, I do think he lost an opportunity to really help himself during the preseason they they played two games i think they played the toronto raptors and the washington wizards and he shot four for 24 from the floor (laughs) so i think he um i think that was an opportunity where he could really helped himself 
he's intriguing, man. Like I just I look at him and I, I want him to be better than what he's shown. He's he has the size. I haven't really seen the same passing that that we saw, you know, and and in FIBA play a couple years ago. But he's got the size. The shooting is inconsistent, but you you know you expect it. It will be better with time. Like like I said, size, ball handling, shooting. I mean, he's so skilled and so talented. And maybe it's just me. Maybe I want him to like be better. I think he has the, the talent to be a lottery pick. I don't think he has the mindset to be like a, you know your alpha or, or or your or your dog or your go to guy. I think he's. I just think that he's he's not maximizing all of his talent. If his uh, passing catches up to what we saw when he was playing for the Swedish under 20 team, do you think he can be that sort of uh, Kyle Anderson that shoots a little bit better, something on those lines? Yeah, maybe. I don't know if he's going to handle the ball as much as Anderson does because I think he's a good passer, but he's more like a connective passer. Well, I think Anderson Anderson is a connective guy, but Anderson like is natural, like a natural ball handler. Like he has the ball in his hands. He's like your your Point four. That, that's a, a pretty good comparison. Um, but I think Clinton has the tools to do that. I just think it's it's the mindset. Yeah, he needs to keep working and improving on his game. And last season, he and last draft, we were hearing about him being the man of mystery and the man the teams were looking at as potentially being a late first round pick. And I don't think he has improved his stock too much. With, uh, yeah, I don't think so. And I wish he had Nikola Topic's mindset. <laughs> yeah, that's, that probably will work well for him. Let's yeah. get back to some French players. And we have spoken about this too. Ajinsa and Solon. What do you think that are these players' draft aspirations and what do you see from them as players in the future? Um, Salon is intriguing. I mean, I think he's I think he's a boom or bust guy. Like he's still raw. He has the physical tools. He's got some toughness to him, makes some athletic plays, and he's shooting the ball a lot better than I expected. But I could see him being a guy that goes really, really high just based off of his potential and upside. But then I wonder what happens if the, the shooting is, is, I mean, I think at one point he made like 17 of, I don't know, what, what, I forgot the numbers exactly. I don't want to be wrong. But I know he got on a hot streak shooting that, that's put him up to like 38%. The question I have is what if he can't sustain those shooting numbers? But I I do think that he can be like you know like a, a pick and pop or pick and roll for i think you can run him you run screens for him and, and use him as a vertical lob threat but i mean he's his flashes are, are really incredible i watched him at basketball with all borders last year all-star weekend and yeah the flashes are there it's just a matter of um you know just refining his game a little bit he's a little raw agents I, I like his mindset he's he's aggressive i mean he was the leading scorer on, on the u19 team he he is the guy that the, the French guy that I don't think he's as talented as Saar and Risa Shea, but I wish they had his mindset because he <laughs> he knows he when I'm out there, I'm getting my shots up. I'm I mean, he's just an aggressive scorer. So that's the thing I like about him. But he has some size and he can shoot. And I think he really helped himself last summer. And we keep seeing all of these French prospects appearing and the future for the French basketball seems to be quite of a good one. Let's not talk about the player from another very good youth program in Spain and this is a player that uh, goes into something that we spoke before about the ability of big men being able to show their presence defensively being a defensive anchor and uh, do you think that Almanza's game translated to the NBA I have been hearing people speaking about his stock dropping quite a bit mm -hmm. after him being regarded at a high level prospect after his world cup and after his good international performance oh man he's tough for me because I, I watched him dominate like the the youth tournaments with like i mean just 
I mean, well, I, I'll say this. I think he greatly benefits from the Spanish point guards that know how to get him the ball and that find him on the roll in those situations. And so my concern with him is how would he look on the ignite when he doesn't have those type of players? Another concern I have with Almanza is, and I hope the listeners understand what I'm saying. He knows how to play basketball. He knows how to play basketball. Sometimes in the G League and on a team like the Ignite, you have to know how to hoop. And when I say know how to hoop means you have to be selfish. You have to say, all right, I'm going to get my numbers. I'm going to get my points. Instead of making this extra pass, we're down by 20. I need to go be aggressive and, and, and try to score. Because if you're down by 20 and your team loses by 15 and you only have six points, then you look bad. And I think American players know like, all right, we're down. I need to get my numbers because if I'm averaging six points a game on an 0-10 team, then it doesn't look good. So he's playing the right way and he doesn't always have – he's had some good games recently, but he doesn't have guys that know how to get him the ball. So on one hand, I think in the NBA, if he had like a a Luka Doncic or James Harden or, you know, a good playmaker, they would get him the ball on the roll and and he would be effective. Another concern I have is he's a good athlete, but not a good athlete by like NBA standards. Like he's not like your, your vertical lob threat where he's he has advantages athletically, but then I don't know if he's he's not strong enough to like defend like the bigger fives in the NBA. I think he needs to get stronger. He's not skilled enough as far as like handling a ball and creating a shot and shooting to play the four. So I think he's somewhat of a tweener, but a tweener on, on the negative side. So I think for him, it's going to be fit. It's going to be important, whoever his point guard is, and then he's going to have to get stronger. But he's weird because he has like great touch around the rim with like hook shots and runners and touch shots, but then he's a poor free throw shooter and he doesn't really space the floor. I'm absolutely in agreement with you about him. He's one of those players that he's a very good basketball player. He will be a very good basketball player at some level somewhere. But uh, to make it to the NBA, you really need to to be able to add all of those things and to have that instinct that sometimes he seems to like. But as a team player, as a basketball player, to play at the feeble level, to play in Europe, I think you will have a great career. Would you say that him or Mara has a better shot at making it in the NBA? Uh... Him. I'll say Almanza. I mean, one, because he's actually playing. You know what I mean? Like, NBA teams are able to watch him play this year. Like, you can't really watch Mara play because he's not playing a lot. As we start to approach the end of this episode, and before we get into probably the two names that everyone wants to hear about, Baba Miller and Ivisic, which one do you think it's more intriguing? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to go with Ivisic. I think he has a little bit more toughness to his game and a little bit more... Uh, aggression baba's tough because you see how he moves i mean you just see like what he can do and you try to project how it would work in the nba but florida state has i mean he's just had a bad deal from the start i mean getting suspended for those games didn't make sense he didn't play well at all last year when he did play he's gotten a little bit better this year but i mean he's such a poor foul shooter i think he's at like 45 percent from the free throw line you can't trust a wing that can't shoot free throws. He's shooting last I looked like 34% from three, but I think his release is so low that with NBA athletes, even if he is open, I think he can turn an open look into a contested shot because his release is, is low. And with, with his size, he may be able to get away with it. I mean, if he were like shorter, having a low release hurts, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy that in theory, you, you like, I look at Baba Miller and I say, you could be a poor man's Giannis. <laughs> 
six eleven. Like you should be like a great rebounder, guy that can get a rebound and turn it into like a fast break, be a cutter. He just doesn't have Giannis's mindset. But but I mean, who does? Like no, yeah. nobody. Does. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, if if he could just be like a poor man's Giannis, a guy that just Giannis is not like nobody is wild by Giannis's like skill level. He's I mean, he can handle the ball, but he's not like a creative ball handler. He just so aggressive and plays so hard and worked on his body that he's made himself like an NBA legend just off of his work ethic. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's he's got some natural ability there. Oh, yeah. But I think if Baba Miller studied Giannis tape and if he's 50% of Giannis after the combo he's a very very good NBA player but Florida State does have a track record of kind of holding guys back I mean we've seen guys like Scotty Barnes and Pat Williams not put up like really good numbers at Florida State so that could be an issue but Ivicic, I guess the last thing I saw from him was how he played at the under 20s. And I see like a 7 2 guy that shoots <laughs> step back jumpers. He's blocking shots. He's so skilled. And I was really, really hoping to see him, see him this, this, um, this season. So I'm going to go with Ivicic, but it is probably just based off of the last thing that I saw. I know this is an unfair question to Mike, but do you think that Ivicic is closer to Poku or to Porzingis? <laughs> <laughs> I'd okay. say Porzingis because the thing about Poku that kind of turned me off. So I was at the tournament. It was the under 18s, 2019, I believe. And he had the triple double. I forgot who it was against, but he had this triple double. And every scout was like, all right, we're going to his next game. They played against Germany and, and Ariel Huckporty. And I think Franz Wagner was on that team also. So every scout piled into this hot gym in Greece to watch him. He warmed up before the game. He looked fine. He took two shots in the first quarter or something like that. A couple shots in the first quarter, didn't score, and didn't play the rest of the game. There was no injury. We didn't see him limping. He warmed up with the team. He was on the bench kind of like laughing. And and, I mean, he, he didn't look hurt. So... Every scout that I talked to was just like, did he just quit? Like, or or did <laughs> someone tell him your draft stock is high enough because you just had like this incredible game, shut it down. So at that point, I was kind of like, all right, like this guy is so talented and skilled, but like, why would he not want to compete? And to this day, I, I still don't know what it was. And I, I even look at him with, with the Thunder. I don't even know. I mean, I haven't even heard his name this year. I don't even know what's the situation. He's another player that has so talented and skilled. I think he can be a lot better than what he is the question about him is like what is the one skill set that he has that he can bring to the table he does a lot of things well but what is that one that you can count on every night so I I think he's someone that's probably going to I mean, he should look better on his second team second draft player for, yep. for Poco and yes I do I really like the upside of Isic, Isic and uh, I wonder if he will be able to to gain the physicality that he probably will need to make it in the NBA and how impactful he can be how high do you think he can go on this draft I don't know I mean it's 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 a big mystery I mean, you know what? Maybe it's a team that really liked him at the at the U20s, and that was the last thing they saw. And then if they feel like we can get him, we may not have been able to get him earlier or, you know, if he would have played well, but they may like him and they may just hold on to that. So, I mean, it's a big mystery. Before we get to the two big names at the moment, Sar and Topic, is there some other European players that you think we should be following and tracking ahead of the draft? Oh, you got the, the French kid, uh, Comme Dadier. 
I think he's intriguing. Um, hopefully, I pronounced that right. I think he's intriguing. Um, he, he would be the one that that I that I think has a chance. Okay. Oh, Juan Nunez. Um, you know, he's you know you talk about Spanish point guard that can that can make plays and run a team. I think he's played well. There's a couple guys that they're not really getting draft balls. I think they're a couple years away. I like the um, Sergio Delaria. Um, from the Spanish national team, I really like him a lot. I, I like this. I like the Spanish point guards. And, and do you like Hugo Gonzalez? I do. I do. I, I had a chance to watch him play earlier earlier this year. I, I do like him. Well, let's get to the two big names, and before we get to which one of them individually, if you were the let's say San Antonio Spurs with back to back first picks, who would you pick today? Sar. I go with <laughs> Sar. Yeah, I just think a, a Sar Wimby front line, especially if they both can end up becoming better shooters i think you got your defense you got like guys that can switch both can pass i mean you, you can get creative you, a little thin you, you may need um you know um put you know put them in the weight room and, and, and tell them to eat some <laughs> steak but i mean they, they to me i mean they, their chemistry would be so good because they'd play together on the spurs and on the french national team you could run some like four or five pick and rolls or five four i mean Yeah, I would go with Sar. The France probably has their front court of the future pretty well settled at this point with those two players, and they should be looking quite good in international yeah, competitions. Yeah, but France never has a point guard, so until they develop <laughs> point guards that know how to like, they should make a trade with one of Spain's point guards. <laughs> yeah, I mean like they they just keep having the, this roster full of like these long wings or, or or they would like develop these point guards that are like tall but like don't get in the paint or, or just have no offensive creativity so they need to develop some point guards that's actually quite funny that you mentioned that because when we are seeing the the draft uh, approaching and we see all the reports and many times we see about the reports of about french wings they grew playing as a point guard and it's true but it's usually it's because of the lack of a pure point guard on their teams and they are forced to do that what is good they developed certain skills that there is to gain from that but what you just mentioned it's it's very true let's then yeah. I mean, speak they need about to give mike james ahead. a passport if they, if they <laughs> france if they gave Mike James a passport they may be able to win a gold medal this oh summer. yeah <laughs> that's very true he would be quite perfect for that there was talks about him getting an European passport at some point but it was mostly rumors it never was close to come into into something but with him playing here for quite a while and especially now that he's playing in Monaco that is not France but they play in the French league for sure he could get uh, a path to a French passport and he for sure could help the, the French national team and with the Olympics yeah. being played in Paris maybe you just gave someone some very good ideas now that they weren't able to get Joel Embiid as they wanted. Let's, yeah, get, to, yeah. let's get to Tofic to, to end the episode. What do you see as his potential as a player? And uh, we know how his mentality is good, his skill is good, his size is good. But what is his real potential? And do you think that he has a real shot at being the number one player on this draft class? I think he could be a bigger Goran Dragic. Oh, well. He's a bigger Goran Dragic. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, just the, I mean, like the way they play. Like, I feel like John Jan Vide is yep. similar. I mean, more so of a score than than Astro Topic is. But I think if Jan Vide would have went to the right situation in Europe, he could be putting up similar numbers because he's such a aggressive, aggressive, aggressive score. Yep. Like, That's very true. He's he's getting them up. But yeah, I mean, if, if he's a, a you know a bigger Goran Dragic, a guy that just gets downhill, he's an incredible finisher around the rim. 
knows how to use his body and his angles. He's fast and he's a good passer. And then if he's able to like shoot like Dragic at, at six, seven, then I think he could be a starter, like a long-term starter. And, you know, maybe even like an all-star. So I, I like him a lot. Does he have the chance to be number one? I don't think so. Simply because, I mean, Sar has some injuries now. Um, they're both injured, but I don't think he's going to have the same opportunities because uh, his role is going to be scaled down and then missing, what, four to six weeks. He's going to have need some time to ramp back up. So I, I, then it's going to be an adjustment to the new team. So I do think it's it's going to um, I think it's going to limit his opportunity to be number one. But let, let's say he does come back healthy. And the last I looked, Red Star was outside of the, the playoff picture. But, you know, what if he somehow Red Star gets in the playoffs and he has a strong performance and, and, and they go to the final four and he has some moments there, then, then then maybe there's a chance. But I do think that there is somewhat of like uphill battle. They did had a small run recently and are approaching because this year we have planes in the Euroleague and that puts more, mm-hmm. more teams in the mix. And they, he seems to have had some sort, I don't want to call it a promise because I don't know that for a fact, but he has been starting for them. And so for him to come from Mega to Red Star, that seems that uh, they are willing to also showcase him to a point, and he has been showing some very good flashes. Even if, as always, the numbers in the early want to be yeah. twenty points, ten assists. I like a lot that he has a mentor like Milos Teodosic, that is such a basketball genius and can really help him to grow into the rest of the season and heading into into the NBA draft. And even if that might not help him to to be number one pick, I think it can help him in his career in the yeah. in the long run. Rafael, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and once again please remind our listeners where they can find your work yeah you can find me at nba big board you can subscribe it is i'm gonna have a sale within the next week where it'll be 40 dollars for the year so that's probably 40 i guess maybe 35 euros or something like that maybe yeah um, about <laughs> about and or or you can pay monthly i i do have some european subscribers and with this being such a, a big european class um i mean I, I think there'd be some interest there i i do get a lot of feedback from nba scouts so if you um subscribe and, and read the newsletter you'll be able to hear like some of the thoughts not only like my opinions and my thoughts but you will hear what nba scouts are saying about the european players so I'm a little biased, but I, I think it's um, one, of, one of the better NBA draft newsletters out there just because <laughs> it covers the, the international players from from my point of view, which I've actually seen in person before they, they blew up. And then um, you have the, the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, which is about five days a week. It's, it's totally free. It's wherever you get your wherever you listen to your podcast and then you can watch it on YouTube. So you can find me there. Perfect. Thank you so much. And you heard it, guys. Make sure you are subscribing to Rafael's stuff if you want to stay ahead of the curve on all of our European prospects heading into the next year's draft. I'm sure that all of our listeners enjoyed this interview. Thank you so much once again for being here and for joining us. As always, I'll be talking with you guys soon.